I'm Eugene Kim, co-director of the Center for Teaching Excellence. And I'm Marilyn Delore, the other co-director. In this episode, we talk with Kevin Lowe from the School of Management about Cura Personalis, care for the whole person, as we teach remotely in these pandemic times. Marilyn, thank you for talking with Kevin for our podcast. Yeah, I actually interviewed him on August 6th. So you'll notice that we speak as though we are still planning and setting up our classes because we were. Um, and now here we are. Uh, it's, it's, it's been an intense semester, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. Um, and we've taken a little break from releasing podcast episodes. And so, uh, yeah, it's interesting to come back. Um, who could have known that our crazy, unprecedented situation would get even more complicated? Yeah, at one point, uh, Kevin says something like, who knows what's going to happen in another week? And in fact, lo and behold, 10 days later, we had those crazy lightning storms that ignited hundreds of fires. And we started the semester uh, under a, a giant cloud of smoke in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. And then more recently, we had the uncertainty with the 2020 election. It's been It's been really intense. So the layers of challenge for ourselves and our students have just ratcheted up and up. So I think the conversation we had about Cura Personalis taking care of ourselves and taking care of our students and encouraging them to take care of each other uh, is all the more timely. Yeah, I was just going to say that. So let's have a listen. Our guest today on CTE Podcast is Kevin Lowe. Kevin, maybe you could start by introducing yourself. Sure. Hi, everyone. I am Kevin Lowe. I am an associate professor at the School of Management in the Department of Organization, Leadership, and Communication. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I wanted to talk with you today about Cura Personalis, this Jesuit idea that was deeply embedded at USF of care for the whole person and how you foster and practice that as a college professor. Sure. I think Cura Personalis as a Jesuit value is one of the more uh, commonly understood or commonly pursued amongst us at USF, whether that's faculty or staff and even our students. I think a lot of us as faculty might think of the, the mental stimulation and uh, equipping our students throughout the course of a class with certain content certain knowledge, and maybe certain skills. Um, but I think especially given everything that's going on in the world, we can't be so narrow as to focus only on the content of our classes. We need to think of our students' emotional trajectories, um, spiritual trajectories, and even physical well-being. So all of those should be, I think, in some way uh, components to how we view our students, you know, and it's, it's a holistic view, and how that will inform um, our interactions with them. I've been wondering, how are we going to do that? Embrace the Cura Personalis notion of, of teaching the whole student, right? And I've found myself thinking about getting my content perfected on Canvas and doing this and doing that, but I've been struggling to figure out how I'm going to reach out to my students and, and help them help them navigate the student side of this new context that we're in. What, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. 
Oh, wow, that's pretty rich. I have several thoughts. Um, what I'll start with first is that it's healthy to cultivate an awareness and thinking that anything that we are experiencing, and when I say we, I'm referring primarily to faculty who are thinking about stepping into the classroom and engaging with students, what we're feeling is probably not all that different from what our students are experiencing. And then think about an additional dimension that might be present in their lives that we might not be experiencing directly. So I think an awareness that everybody is going through a lot right now is probably healthy. Um, and letting that allow us to be gentle with ourselves and with others. I don't think that this semester is the one to make a hard push not for ourselves and not for our students. So I think that's one way of approaching it. Um, I also think when you uh, reference presenting your material on Canvas, even the first uh, reach out, say the first email to your classes, you know, what is that going to say? What is the tone going to be? How is that going to feel? I think, for, at least for me this semester, thinking about the semester in much smaller segments will allow for a flexibility and a nimbleness that I think is gonna be really important, um, if not immediately, then certainly later on. I think as faculty, we're generally in the practice of projecting out a 15-week semester, and depending on what the class is and how experienced we are, or how many times we've taught it, you know, that can work. I think going into this semester, whether we are doing a new prep or something that we've done 10, 20 times, it's probably going to benefit us to think small and not over-prepare or plan for a semester to be exactly like this, because who knows what's going to happen in another week. And I think we will appreciate a certain amount of flexibility as faculty, and I think our students are likely also going to appreciate, okay, this professor knows where they're going, but there's enough room to, you know, have a bad week or just not be on my game for the next 15 weeks until early December. I think that that flexibility, that agility is going to be very important. I think that's really wise. I've been talking with some colleagues about doing uh, teaching yoga this summer to try to increase that notion of flexibility, that flexibility and that spirit of discovery. Tell me a little bit more, Kevin, about some specific things, maybe even small things that you're thinking about implementing in your classes this fall that will help to care for the whole person of the students to address not only their intellectual, as you were saying, their intellectual capacities, but also their spiritual, emotional, and even physical needs. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So the first thought I have is really more around the, the content and the intellectual side. And these are very raw thoughts, but I'm happy to share them anyway. I'm, I'm a member of a teaching society, and one of the other members at one point talked about having a semester where students can earn a maximum of 1,000 points throughout the semester. Um, and I've never done this, and I've reached out and you know, haven't found you know, an article or anything, but I'm nonetheless um, thinking about saying to students, all right, 
you can earn a thousand points this semester. I would like to hear from you in, from in three areas. You know, what is a skill or what is a kind of deliverable? Maybe that's oral, maybe that's written, maybe that's in class, maybe that's out of class. Something that you know you can deliver well for this class. This is a way that you can contribute. Okay, how much of that thousand points and maybe broken up, you know, like 25% every three weeks that you can earn, um, how would you like to earn the most of those points? You know, play to your strengths. Then two, what is a skill or an area that you are wanting to develop, but know that you're not quite there yet? Why don't we put that as, you know, the second component, and that's the second um, way in which you earn points for the semester. And then there can be something that you know, this really isn't me. Every class asks this of us, but it's really not my forte. All right, well, we don't want to ignore that completely, but maybe that can be the third component. And for you, as, as an individual student, that's going to be the, the lowest percentage of contributing to your grades. So you as a student tell me, I only want to earn this many points for that. Um, so if it all adds up, and no one component can constitute more than X percent of the final grade. It gives some students an opportunity to be proactive in their learning, to think about this isn't going to be this uphill battle the entire way because the only thing we're ever going to be graded on is written essays, and I'm not a particularly strong writer, um, but I can speak and not talking for 10 minutes and not making a point. So for that student, you know, the oral component, probably in class, would count for the biggest percentage. And then uh, maybe writing would be the third, but some other component would be in the middle, maybe giving peer feedback. Um, and constructing a class like that, it's probably going to be more work for me than I'm aware of. But I think that would be really valuable for the students, especially like we were talking about earlier, given everything that's going on in the world. But I also think that sense of autonomy, giving students a sense of ownership for not only the class, but their learning um, could be very valuable as well. So I'm, I am still uh, playing around with that idea. And I think the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to construct one possibility and that allows for a range of reception on the part of the students to what is probably a pretty novel idea. Those who think, oh my goodness, too outside the norm, can't do this, I'll just go with what Kevin has provided, that'll be fine. And then if other people really think, oh, that, this is great, and I know exactly how I'm going to structure my grade, they have that latitude. Um, and I think in the spirit of being flexible, which I alluded to earlier, I would say, let's do this for the first four weeks, maybe, and you get 250 points, you can play around with that. And as things shift throughout the semester, you can revise. You know, maybe you're just too tired to do all the readings uh, in a given month, but you have the energy to watch TED Talks. Anyway, that kind of, a, that kind of flexibility that sounds like a wonderful idea. And it makes me think back to the first episode of our podcast where I talked 
with Joan Faber McAllister. And, and one of the things she drove home is that the online platform, uh, remote teaching modalities can be an opportunity to kind of rethink or think outside of the box and offer students multiple modes of participation. And what you just talked about is sort of driving that even deeper in terms of giving students a certain amount of ownership or authorship over how they'll be evaluated in our classes. I think that's a great idea. It, I think it goes back to the first part of our conversation about current personalis as well. You know, this is allowing to me, it speaks of a way to allow students to flourish this semester instead of saying, this is what we're doing, either hop on or hop off. Um, you know, this is inviting them to hop on in the way or at the pace that is going to be most comfortable while still gently pushing them. So I'm really fascinated by this idea um, because it, it, it seems like it would give a little bit of sense of ownership to the students, um, perhaps get them more invested in whatever assignments they're working on. But, I mean, we make some tough curricular choices based on our best estimation of what skills they need to learn in the class. And so to say that the students can then override those curricular choices by saying, well, I'm not really that much into writing, and so I would prefer if my grade just came from my oral presentation, that seems to undermine what we're trying to accomplish as teachers. That was my first thought. Um, but I have to admit, it's probably not that different from um, what already happens now. Because uh, Kevin said that you know we would put some limits on this. You might say like, okay, what percentage of your grade should be from your papers, for example? And it has to be a minimum of X percent. Well, that's probably not that different from what we do now. We set some sort of minimum uh, threshold and then if in class discussions, if uh, you know, the class ends up wanting to talk more about their oral presentations, you might entertain that and you're okay with it because you're still having them spend at least a, you know, that one module in the class doing papers. So I guess it's really not all that different. Yeah, I think that Kevin is not suggesting that students can entirely opt out of one thing and do only the thing that they're comfortable with, right? And I mean, it's sort of about about flexibility somewhat, um, you know, choosing smaller parameters. But I think that putting it at the front like this, and again, um, assigning it to the students to make those decisions is a smart way of increasing their investment. And I, I really love the way he talks about um, creating the opportunity for students to flourish, right? So not just tick the boxes, do all the required assignments, but to really um, challenge some of their growth areas, perhaps, but also um, really shine in things that they do well. I mean, I imagine that in a class that the whole objective is about writing, right? A legal writing class or a, a rhetoric and language class that... Um, you know, you couldn't make the papers be a tiny percent of the grade, grade because that's the skill that's being taught. However, I know that many of our colleagues in rhetoric and language actually are doing sort of um, multimodal, um, you know, digital and multimedia ways of reporting research other than just sort of like the standard college essay. Yeah, yeah. And then there are, there are different steps along the way of developing a standard college essay too. So, um, you know, if, if you're kind of brainstorming different ideas for a theme or you want to try out some, um, 
some arguments that might be used. I suppose there's little reason why you couldn't present those uh, through a different modality um, than writing a first draft and submitting it and then having, having it done that way exclusively. Yeah, absolutely. Another thought I had um, when Kevin was talking about this is um, thinking back to a student I had in a previous year who really struggled with writer's block. And, uh, you know, I tried lots of different ways to reach out to her and, and help her giving extensions. She ultimately took an incomplete in my class and sadly never finished the work. Her contributions to class discussion were brilliant and frequent. And so orally, right, she was so astute and had so much important stuff to say. So I was actually excited about her her papers and her writing, right? And she did turn in one or two things that were wonderful, but then with the more formal assignments, this paper is due October 10th, right? She just kind of froze up. And now in retrospect, I kind of think, gosh, if I'd thought more creatively in terms of um, accommodating, you know, the student, I might have um, been able to allow her some flexibility in terms of um, completing the work and demonstrating the knowledge that she had acquired in my class through an oral presentation or a podcast. Yeah, yeah. I I think that a lot of faculty can can probably relate to that. I mean, I would say uh, many, if not most of us, have had experiences like that with students where we really feel like there was some bottleneck that prevents them from really being able to, um, to, to, to be their best selves in the class um, on the whole. And, you know, I, I guess the first, the first kind of naysayer's response to trying to be flexible in that type of situation might be like, well, hey, you need to learn how to work under, uh, you know, deadline circumstances. Or at the end of the day, this is a writing class, so you need to be able to turn in that paper. And so I'm sorry that you know, if you are a genius inside, but if you can't do it in this way, then it's not going to work, right? It's like a a, a surgeon who is a, a genius, but the sight of blood, you know, makes her pass out. You know, I, I, there are some circumstances where it's like, okay, this is going to be a hard no. Like, if you can't if you can't cross <laughs> this one line, then that that's not going to work out. But um, I think we should be probably a, a little bit more honest about what is it that we are really trying to teach and evaluate and assess and coach and develop in these students in a particular class. Even in my writing class, I'm trying to teach them how to think, how to analyze, how to be professional, how to present themselves. And and so, yes, it might be that you have a hard time with uh, with writer's block. And yes, that will likely be a problem. But it doesn't mean that that should then preclude you from being able to succeed in other areas, in other ways, and to at least be able to demonstrate that proficiency in those other ways. So, I I mean, I think it's something that's worth thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to your original question, I think it's going to be really important to me this semester to, uh, to the extent that we have synchronous sessions via Zoom. Uh, to really make space for students to connect with each other as students. So without me in breakout rooms to share what is going on in their lives, how they are grappling with certain situations that are more common to them 
as students than they are even to the context in which we're coming together for a given class. Um, and allowing for them to hear each other and see each other and be present for each other. I, that's something that I usually do in person anyway. In my classes, I call it community building time. It goes a long way. It's time well spent. Um, clearly, it's not the same feel virtually, but I think the value is heightened, again, given everything that we're having to cope with right now. Um, and it's probably, for me, more than simply saying, okay, here's a Zoom breakout room, go. Um, I have some really, what I think are different kind of profound icebreakers for this semester. So that'll be one part of helping ignite a conversation, but also e equipping students with some skills and tools to listen to each other and what they're saying um, during that time of class where it's really designed to hear each other, see each other, and take care of each other. Would you be willing to share one of those uh, deep, profound icebreakers or one of those activities or, or some tips in terms of, of encouraging active listening, particularly in the Zoom breakout rooms? Sure. For one of the icebreakers, let's see, I, I'm teaching a class at the School of Management. It's an elective that I've created called Emotional and Cultural Intelligence. I call it EQCQ. Um, I think as a culturally based question, what desserts are popular in your culture? And I think that invites so much richness that is appropriate for an icebreaker as opposed to, let's take the next hour to talk about dessert. These will probably be random groups. Um, so who's representing a given culture necessarily in a breakout room isn't going to be super structured. But I think that could ignite super rich, deep, powerful conversations. And if it goes well, say, people will hear about desserts that they've never heard of and would ideally like to go try. Um, and you know, who doesn't like dessert? So I think that's something that's accessible. It'll be fun. That type of a question. Might even result in a recipe swap by the end of the semester. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in terms of skills for listening to each other, I think simple phrases, and this is more on the emotional intelligence side of the same class, and this, this is actually content um, for the class, but I certainly don't mind sharing. Inviting more sharing by asking, could you say more? I think that that's a good one. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Constantly giving each other space and holding that space, um, you know, in a non-judgmental fashion, I think will be very valuable this semester. It strikes me that, um, that perhaps given the limitations of Zoom, we might need to, or I might need to up the ante in terms of making explicit some of those expectations or, or norms, right? When you're in a room and students are broken out into small groups, you can kind of monitor the, the energy and the buzz and hop over to this group. Or if you see someone, you know, quiet and on their phone, 
you can float over there and, and give them a nudge. But in the breakout rooms, you can't simultaneously be in all six of them. So that articulating or talking explicitly early in the semester about sort of discussion norms and expectations and giving the tips you just said to talk about that process with everyone so that when they're in their small breakout rooms, they can do that with each other, right, too. Right. Absolutely. Can I share two thoughts Please. quickly about that? Because you made a reference to uh, monitoring energy. And one construct, I would call it, that I've brought to my classes for, for years now is that of bandwidth. And I've take what, taken what I've called bandwidth readings or bandwidth meters at the beginning of class. This practice predates my uh, direct delivery of content around emotional intelligence. But thinking about, all right, what are my students' energy levels today? So my practice, every time a class meets, is to ask my students, okay, on a scale of one to 10, and you just hold up your fingers, what is your bandwidth today? How much energy are, do you have for our class? 10 is high, like you're ready to go. One is, you know, all the coffee in the world is not going to really help me today, but I'm here. Um, and that gives me a sense. Uh, I've had students go negative three before. And this was an 8 a.m. class on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I had a young woman who consistently screamed, 11. Wow. And she Impressive. really was. <laughs> at 8 a.m. But it was because I wasn't even at an 11. Um, but it gives both me as well as the students an idea of what we're working with. And it doesn't necessarily change what we're going to do that day, but it might change the approach in terms of like how we ease into it. Or, you know, if people are all at eights, and I understand this is a subjective scale, then, okay, we can go in a little bit uh, earlier. You know, if everybody comes in at a three, um, all right, there's an opportunity to probe that. What's going on in your lives? Is it, is it valuable for me to know about that? Is it valuable for you to know that about each other? That, again, that goes back to caring for each other and seeing each other, hearing each other. So the way I'm going to change that for this semester is, and I think this is particularly important for Zoom, is to ask, what kind of energy are you bringing into our space today? And it's... I think essentially, and I would be curious to hear how that resonates with you, to me it's essentially the same question, but it invites people to go a little bit deeper, you know, and it's not just, okay, this is how I'm showing up, or, or this, is, this is like my number. Um, this is a consciousness of what me being at this number does to influence the class. And I've been thinking and trying to be creative. That could be a number. That could also be an emotion. That could be a color. You know, what kind of energy are you bringing into our space today? Somebody might say orange. Okay, that's fine. What does that mean for you? Okay, so I never thought of orange as being an emotion. Um, or, you know, or, or if somebody asked me, how am I doing? Responding by, by saying orange. But <laughs> I think Kevin makes a good, you know, Kevin makes a good point here. I mean, like, I, I think a big part of What's so valuable about um, recognizing what kind of energy or what level of energy you have is um, it forces you to think about the influence that you are bringing to the class. Uh, I think this is really reminding students that 
class is a collaborative endeavor, that um, learning is a collaborative endeavor, that there's a, a chemistry, a camaraderie uh, among the, the students in the class and with the faculty. It's not just going to see a movie and then, and then saying like, well, let's sit back and let's see what Professor Delore has for me today. Um, uh, not to guilt them into saying, hey, what you bring to the class today affects everybody else. So, you know, you need to be chipper. That, that's not, it's not to say that, I don't think. Um, I think it's more just to, just to recognize that we're kind of in this together. And so just like how if one person in the family is feeling kind of down, everybody else in the family is going to be kind of like, ah, this is, something's off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have yeah. that, that responsibility. And then we also, um, I don't know, have that dynamic together. It strikes me that when we're physically together in an on-the-ground classroom, there's a bit more of that shared sense, I think, right, of reading the room and the energy. And I think we're all sort of hyper-aware of other students, other, other people in the room. But that, you know, you mentioned sitting back and watching a movie and that Zoom, right, for all of its um, benefits, and I'm thankful to have it and to connect with my students at least that way. But it is like the screen and sit back, and perhaps the um, perhaps students are less likely to think about what's the energy I'm bringing to class today, right? If they're on their couch or in their backyard or lying in their bed or you know chair rolled back from the desk or whatever it is, right? Well, you're just this little, I'm just a little box out of 20 or out of 40 on that screen there. And if I'm not hopping on it today, if I'm not bringing my, you know, my questions and my eager Right, um, no big interest, deal. Yeah, yeah, it's, there are other people. So, so I think that um, Kevin's remarks about inviting students to think about the energy they're bringing to the virtual classroom is important advice. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally going to call my students out on that um, or bring it to their attention, I should yeah. say. Uh, I think one way to maybe vary that up to, um, if people are familiar with Poll Everywhere and the word cloud function, I think that is a really good way of capturing kind of the the atmosphere of the class at the beginning. I haven't run into a problem where people don't have the appropriate technology to do that. And I, in fact, I did that last semester after we pivoted to remote virtual learning. Told everybody, go to this poll and do exactly what you just said. You know, type in one word that captures how you're showing up right now. And it's anonymous. And, you know, if multiple people uh, enter the same term, then that word becomes bigger on the screen via Zoom, you share your screen and so everybody can see in real time what other people are contributing. And if people want to then speak to words, whether it's the word that they typed or asking one of their classmates, what about this? You know, can somebody, if they want to share about this word, you know, that works. So that's, I think that's a fun way of, you know, fingers work, like you said, but the, the word cloud via poll everywhere could also work. Um, I think, you know, this is going back, I said there were two thoughts that I had when you were talking about monitoring energy. In the same spirit of co-creating a class with the students, I think one of the conversations that I'll have with all of my classes early on is around norms and expectations and throw it out to them. What are we all going to do to contribute to a successful class this semester? And I think hearing students' voices in particular 
regarding what works for them on Zoom versus not um, will be important. I have my rationale, I'll call it, especially for emotional intelligence, why cameras should be on. Let's talk about that. I really like that approach. Again, it sort of includes the students in the authorship of the class rather than laying down a policy. This is how it's going to be in in this class. And it invites participatory discussion as to, well, why? And and maybe in what context might a particular class norm be modified if for whatever reason you want to come to class but aren't mm-hmm. quite up to it or you're sick in some way to, to set kind of a ground rule of shared expectations yeah why we want to do that and for me at the school of management and bringing management content to students it, it aligns very nicely with what students kind of expect when they show up anyway it might not be something that's practiced in every class but it works really well with what I'm going to be offering. Yeah. I remember that you had a really successful shift to emergency remote instruction last spring, and you alluded to that just a bit earlier. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about why do you think it went so well, what you did then to keep students engaged and connected, and what lessons you draw from that? Sure. Uh, I think one thought that was very important as we pivoted in March, but also as we go into a couple of weeks, is thinking about virtual remote teaching as an opportunity. That yes, and this is something that you talked about in in the first episode, yes, there are certain things that we might mourn about the classroom in-person experience that we're not able to do right now, but there are other things that we're able to do that we might not have considered. This is as an example, and this might be for me personally, I as a professor have real inhibitions about cold calling students in a classroom. And for whatever reason, I have far fewer inhibitions about calling on them on Zoom. And there's some levity there. If somebody is like way back from their screen, I can say, with far fewer reservations than I would ever say if somebody was slouching in their seat in a classroom. Hey, could you roll up to your computer and get close to the camera so we can all see you and offer a thought to our current conversation? And I don't know what that difference is, but you know, I've had fun. That's so interesting because for me, it was the opposite, at at least last spring. Yeah, that I, I felt like Zoom was strange and somehow more heightened than a conversation in a classroom. So I was uh, less inclined to cold call students than I am in real life. Oh, interesting. Going back to what I was sharing earlier about asking students what kind of energy are they bringing into our space today? I think particularly because a lot of our synchronous time will be on Zoom and what you were saying earlier about, you know, this is very flat and hard and we can't get the same reads on each other as we would in the classroom. I think Inviting people to reflect on their energy and how it influences our space might shift things, I'm thinking for the better, on Zoom where, hey, this is energy I'm bringing into this space. Is that what I feel is reflected as I look at myself on the screen? Because there has been, in my experience, a real disconnect between students' stated enthusiasm for the class and my perceptions of how they're showing up. So there was real dissonance. If this is like an hour into class, I would pause, say, and take a bandwidth meter right there. It's like, it looks like energy is a little bit low. And people would say, no, we're fine. But no, we're fine, as opposed to, no, this is great. You know, the tone of your voice can be 
we might not get the same read from each other as we think that we're giving off. So I did want to insert that into the conversation. I wanted to share, you know, you were asking about what I thought went well last semester and what I'm thinking about um, for this coming semester, uh, regardless of the mode of delivery. The, the first, what I call pillar of my teaching philosophy is learning can and should be fun. And I think there is science behind that, that, you know, if you enjoy an experience, and for us in the classroom, that's going to be a learning experience. If we enjoy that, the learning is going to stick better than if it were completely distasteful. I hated every minute of that. Let's just get out of here. It's, it's unlikely that you're going to retain a lot from that experience. So what can we do to make the learning enjoyable? And I've had to think quickly because one of the big ways in which I've made learning enjoyable has been through experiential exercises. And again, those work well for the content that I teach, whether that's management and organizational behavior or emotional and cultural intelligence. A lot of the experiential exercises that I would have normally done in a class just can't be done via Zoom. You need to be co-located, sitting around a table, building something, working on a puzzle. Um, but there are other tools, mostly technological, that can give the same sense of fun in a class. So to share, and happy to share this idea, I'm also uh, the, the same teaching society that I'm a part of. I should give a shout out to this group. This is the Management and Organizational Behavior Teaching Society, MOBTS. It's an international association of well, people who teach in management and organizational behavior specifically, but who really focus on their teaching, the classroom experience, and, and learning for students. Um, great organization that has transformed me not only as a classroom instructor, but as a person. But we did a session a few weeks ago, and colleagues demonstrated Kahoot. And Kahoot, kind of like Poll Everywhere, is an app and you can create polls or games on them. You know, multiple choice games. Here's a question, here are four choices, kind of like who wants to be a millionaire, but everybody's answering, you know, either on their phone or on their computer at the same time. So one of the exercises I was going to do, and there are two primary ways I've thought about this. I'm going to have everybody submit something that's kind of a lesser known fact about me. This is kind of trivia about if it were me, me, Kevin. So everybody submits a question and then we have a Kahoot co-created by everybody. You know, who knows the most about their classmates? And it's a way of getting to know each other virtually with information that might not have been shared even if I had given that prompt as an in-person prompt. It'll be fun and then it helps us build community. I, I'm thinking about other ways to do that. What are maybe lesser known trivia bits about cultures that you identify with. You know, so this is a way of crowdsourcing information and sharing it in a way that I think from the majority of students, it's going to be a lot more fun than reading an article or maybe even then, you know, not everybody is an in-person kinesthetic learner. So people for whom that mode of instruction might not resonate, there's, there's this. I think there are ways to build in fun using technology to create what I call an enjoyable learning experience. So my hope is that students learn something, but that they enjoy 
the process of learning. And it'll be dependent on what they contribute. But I think a kind of a low stakes element of competition can be really fun. That's something that I'm looking forward to. Um, it, going back to your question, you're like, what have I done to be successful? Really um, challenging myself to think about, okay, what's going, to, what's going to help create an enjoyable learning experience for the students? So that's one idea that I have. I think that because we will be missing soft time as students are coming into the room and maybe chatting with each other and with you and the soft time as they're leaving the room, right? And walking down the Lomo stairs. And so I've been thinking a lot about that, that part of college is the out of class conversations and engagement. I mean, we've got student life and all kinds of virtual programming and connective things going on as well. I do think it's wise to increase our um, intentional things that we do to get students to connect. I've been thinking about, I often will have a, a group project of some kind in the semester, but I'm thinking about including more very small, low stakes, as you said, requests or assignments to connect with one or two people outside of class time via whatever technology you want to, to do small task X, right? So that they're connecting with different classmates in between our class meetings outside of our large group meeting, just to try to help foster or reinforce those connections. Something else that I did last semester in the spirit of creating those spontaneous interactions that would be in person if we were on campus, but now by necessity have to be virtual. You know, we probably don't want to ask the students to be on too many different platforms at once, but I did, with my students' agreement, um, ask everybody to be on Slack as well and created well one slack workspace for the whole class but then create different channels for conversation and invite them to suggest channels as well so we had one called uh, and in both sections of my class last semester um pandemic playlists you know what music are you listening to to help you get through the pandemic i think it's you know it's really fruitful to have that virtual space where people can interact with each other. And what I found was that students went on Slack and they responded to one another. Well, since we're talking about Slack, I'll take the moment to put in the plug for CTE Slack to encourage listeners to sign up, to head over there, share tips and ideas, or post questions. I saw, so even little small activity ideas are reminding folks about, what was the, the one you said earlier, Kahoot and the gamification, that sounded fun. So you could just post a little something with a link to the site and talk about how you use it. I think that would be wonderful. Early in our conversation, Kevin, you mentioned that things that we are experiencing as faculty are likely things that our students might be experiencing. And I have been struggling more than usual with focus and sort of depth of engagement with my own work with so much happening more than usual through my computer screen. I'm wondering if, as you think about emotional and spiritual and physical well-being and the well-documented phenomena of Zoom fatigue and you know the distractions of all of our technological devices, if you have any advice for your students and or for faculty to think about how we can cultivate practices of deep focus when we're not engaging with others, perhaps, but just working 
on material or working on thinking or, or writing or exploring ourselves? Sure. Uh, again, I think I have two thoughts that immediately come to mind. Um, and I think the first is, you know, consistent with a, a, a reference that you made earlier and, you know, like both for yourself as well as encouraging your students to get out of the 2D space and into the 3D space. Again, analog, actually uh, reading a physical book instead of looking at the computer screen. And I think for me, and this is um, a tip that I got from a coaching friend who is now doing a lot of trainings online, probably lends itself to those of us who are teaching slightly longer classes. Um, but in a synchronous session, say, all right, everybody, for the next 10 minutes, turn your camera off, step away from the computer, and go think about this for, next, for the next 10 minutes. Maybe that is enough time for you to get outside and breathe some fresh air. Um, at least stand up if you've been sitting for a long time. Move around a little bit. So I think that, as a way of maybe infusing creativity as well as energy um, into, again, the learning space, this isn't a break in the class. This is actual learning time. And I think it needs to be framed as such that I want you to think about this. And maybe it helps if a broader part of your plan for the semester is really let's move at least some of the time away from the computer screen. Ask that everybody prepare physical paper, maybe a notebook and a pen. And during these times of disconnect from the computer, you write by hand, jot some thoughts down to a question that we all have for reflection. And when we come back, we can share this. But I think that disconnect can be very provocative. So that's a kind of a teaching-related suggestion that I have. I love this idea of, of telling the students to turn off their camera and to think about something for 10 minutes. And I love how Kevin says, this is not a break. This is part of the class. This is a learning assignment. I, I just came out of a teaching meeting today when we were talking about breaks and acknowledging that students are Zoom fatigued, but then, you know, uh, if we give them breaks, then, you know, we're, we're having a hard enough time as it is covering the material that we want to. And the breaks are so inefficient because, you know, people leave and then a few of them are like late stumbling back and turning their cameras on. And some of them, we notice that if we give them a break, they don't leave anyway. They just sit there in front of the computers. Then we're like, well, that's not really accomplishing the purpose. And so this is this is a great idea. This is, uh, I don't know, um, I'm totally going to use this idea. Yeah, I love the thou shalt step away from the screen for 10 minutes and do this specific task, right? Another way might be, you know, turn your camera off, turn your back, write longhand in a notebook mm -hmm. or go retrieve an object in your space that's relevant to the discussion at hand or whatever it might be. Um, but I think, I mean, I've had students report to me because they're like taking a full load of classes and they're doing internships or jobs that are also remote via Zoom or whatever it might be that, you know, some of them are reporting that they're having, you know, persistent eye twitches from too much Zoom and too much screen time. And they're in their 20s, right? So yeah. I think uh, caring for the physical body and thinking about um, engaging in the 3D world, as Kevin puts it, is um, good advice for all of us. Um, the other is around mindfulness, which is an area that is part of my class deliveries, as well as you know, some of the activities that I've done with the CTE. 
mindfulness, I would say, is being consciously aware of what we're experiencing as we're experiencing them without judging, without judgment. Okay, um, And so cultivating a mindfulness practice, you know, being aware of what I'm experiencing now as I'm experiencing without being judgmental. If I were to use an example, I've been sitting this whole time um, and I realize that I'm slouching and my lower back is a little bit tight. Um, so that's inviting me to shift in my posture, but without judging and saying to myself, Kevin, you should have been sitting up straighter this whole time. It's okay, I was slouching. I'm aware of that. Now I'm going to not slouch for a little bit. I think that's important because we can get maybe stuck in Zoomland and on our computers, try and bring mindfulness, my own mindfulness too, as well as, you know, try to uh, foster that uh, for my students. Is there anything else on this notion of cura personalis? Any other final thoughts? This is part of the Ignatian pedagogical paradigm that reflection leads to action, right? And there should be some action in conjunction with Kerr personalis, the Jesuit value of being men and women for others is important also. And so thinking in, in the context of the classes that any of us are teaching, okay, this is the content, and this is the knowledge. How does that inspire us to go do something? And maybe not just do something for ourselves, but, you know, again, in the spirit of social justice, uh, you're going to do something and taking action on behalf of others. I think that's an important consideration as well. And bringing that to the forefront is, is not only consistent with who we are as a Jesuit university. I think that might help to break up some of the, the Zoom fatigue, just the lethargy that the pandemic imposes upon us if we can't be in a physical classroom. What can we do, what actions can we take to be men and women for others? You're absolutely right. Part of the USF change the world from here ethos is trying to encourage our students to think about how they can best care for each other and others and communities in the world. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's given me ideas, and uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Marilyn, thank you again for interviewing Kevin for this episode. My pleasure. And thank you all, the listeners, for joining us for another episode of CTE Podcast. Until next time, I'm Eugene Kim. And I'm Marilyn Delore. This episode was produced by the Tracy Seeley Center for Teaching Excellence at the University of San Francisco. The CTE is co-directed by Marilyn Delore and Eugene Kim. Our program assistant is Nisha Jaster. Thanks for listening.